I'm Warren Smith. I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with a particular topic. And today I'm pleased to have back on the program Ron Sellers, the president of Gray Matter Research and Consulting. Ron Sellers and I discuss a new study his organization has done in conjunction with Infinity Concepts. That study was published just a week ago, and it's called Media Matters, Evangelicals and the Media. Now, before we jump into that interview, I just want to note that we will have a way for you to get a copy of this 26-page report in the show notes. So just click on that tab, and it'll pop right up. And if you want to print it or just read it on your screen, you can do it right there. But until then, my interview with Ron Sellers. Well, Ron, welcome back to the program to talk about this new study, Media Matters, Evangelicals and the Media. And one of the main conclusions that you talk about in this uh, survey is that there is a digital divide, not between the haves and the have-nots, but among evangelicals, depending upon what media they choose to listen to or watch. Do I have that right? Yeah. All you really need to do is go take a flight someplace or sit on a bus someplace, and you look around and you'll see some people reading a Kindle, other people reading a book. You'll see some people watching their cell phone or their iPad or looking at an old-fashioned magazine, right? So there, there's a lot of fragmentation right now in media, and it's gotten a lot worse. It's gotten a lot more fragmented over the past 5, 10, 20 years, and there's nothing to suggest that fragmentation won't continue. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I was on an airplane last week, as a matter of fact, and um, I observed that very phenomenon. One of the reasons I thought about it was because Michael Lewis, uh, who is an author I follow a good bit, has a relatively new book out. He's the guy that did Moneyball that was turned into a movie and Liar's Poker. Well, I remember uh, getting on an airplane, I think it was back in the late 80s, early 90s, his book, A Liar's Poker, came out. And no kidding, I got on an airplane and there were probably 30 people reading that book. Everybody was reading a book and it was the same book, Liar's Poker. Uh, now I realized that there was probably a little bit of self-selection going on. There was a business audience and that was a business book. But yeah, this diversity, this fragmentation of media is just remarkable. One of the things that you observe in your study, in your survey, is that uh, evangelical Protestants often look at both Christian media and secular media, and sometimes the degree to which they look at secular media versus Christian media depends in part on age. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, it is. Most evangelical Protestants use a mix of Christian and mainstream media. And when I say Christian media, that is something that needs a definition because I've been in the research world for over 30 years, and I've seen all sorts of definitions of what Christian media is and, and ways that people are trying to define it. And it's it's really difficult. Uh, you know, what is a Christian television program? I mean, obviously, something like CSI is not a Christian program, and something like the 700 Club is a Christian program. 
But then you've got this whole broad area in the middle. You know, the, the miniseries, The Bible, that was popular uh, a number of years ago. Was that a Christian program? Wholesome, family-friendly programming, things like that. So what we did, and there's there's going to be some play in any definition that is used, but when Gray Matter Research partnered with Infinity Concepts to do this work, we decided to ask people about media that is specifically Christian, meaning that it is not just family-friendly, it's not just wholesome, not just has a good message, not just inspirational, but it's media that is specifically Christian. And on the other side, we wanted to avoid using terms like regular media or non-Christian media, which makes it sound um, antagonistic towards religion, or mainstream media, because it basically, again, makes it sound like Christian media can't be mainstream. So we asked them about media that is specifically Christian and that which is not specifically Christian. And we found that the vast majority of evangelicals are using a mix. Almost every evangelical uses at least some Christian media and uses at least some mainstream media. And the numbers depend on the media type. For instance, with with broadcast radio, uh, you've got 73% who use a mix. You've got 9% who don't listen to any Christian radio whatsoever, They own, or, or Christian programs, I should say. They only use mainstream media, mainstream radio. And then you've got 19% who only listen to Christian radio. They don't use any non-Christian or, or not specifically Christian radio at all. And those numbers vary from, from one media format to the next. Books, it's even more of a mix. Magazines, it's even less of a mix. But uh, you know, all, all of the details of this, I don't want to overwhelm you with numbers, but all the details of this are, are in the report from Infinity Concepts and Gray Matter Research. Sure. Yeah. And we'll have a link to that, by the way, in our show notes. So you can look, uh, if you're listening here and you want to actually dig into the numbers, we'll give you access to that report. You know, Ron, one of the things that uh, also jumped out at me at this report, and I wondered if you might want to say more about it, is that I think there's a conventional myth that whenever one new medium comes along, it kills the old medium. You know, the old, um, when MTV started, uh, the very first song that they played on MTV was a video killed the radio star, right? I mean, it was the, the idea that video was going to kill radio. And in fact, that did not happen uh, to radio. And I was really surprised that your study found that books are not dead. Magazines are not dead. Radio is not dead. Yes, there are a lot more people listening to podcasts, a lot more people doing their research on the internet, on the web, uh, looking at streaming video, that sort of thing. So there, you know, obviously if, to get to 100%, if one grows, something else has to shrink somewhere along the way. But none of them go away altogether. They are coexisting in this media ecology or media ecosystem, it seems to me. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's very accurate. And it's not just forms of media. We have seen this with almost everything. Electric cars will be the death of the gas-powered car. Internet banking, online banking will be the death of the bank branch. All those bank branches are going to be vacant. They're going to go away. You know, you go back to the 40s and the 50s, television was going to kill movies. I mean, we've seen this over and over and over again. And the only time, at least in the short term, the only time that that does tend to happen is when whatever that is introduced 
that is new is doing the exact same thing as an existing technology or an existing uh, product, but it just does it better. If you think about DVDs versus VHS tapes, they do exactly the same thing. It's just that DVDs do nearly everything better. They have more space. They have better quality. They have more searchability and everything else. So when DVDs come out, now it takes a little while, but eventually they've completely replaced VHS tapes. You, you can't even buy a VHS recorder or, or player anymore. But with most other media, what happens is people say, wow, these, these eBooks are really cool. I want to use them in these givens. I love using them on an airplane because I can carry my library with me without carrying four paperback books. But when I've mm -hmm. snuggled up on a rainy day, I want to have that book, right? And it's the same thing with, with all of these where people will say, hey, this new thing, video streaming is really great. But you know what? I still want to watch live sporting events and live church events and live concerts that I can't watch on the video streaming. And I want to watch live news. And so all of the, and it makes it really, really challenging for anybody who is trying to put resources out there. Because now if you're what we used to call a publisher, like a, a Lifeway Resources or a David C. Cook or Standard or whatever, now these resource providers aren't just printing magazines and printing books. They've got to worry about podcasts. They've got to worry about uh, streaming video. They've got to worry about websites. And it's the same thing with churches that are put, trying to put uh, media out there in some manner. You've got all these different formats that people are using at different times for different reasons. And if you're not taking advantage, you are missing part of the audience part of the time. Ron, you say that there's a difference in the way evangelicals consume media based on a couple of factors that I'd like for you to say more about them. One is whether they're charismatic slash Pentecostal or not, that whether you are charismatic Pentecostal impacts the way you consume media. And number two, income impacts the way you consume media. Can you say more about those two characteristics and why you think that's the case? Well, we didn't really dig into the why. So any any why would be a, a supposition on my part. What we do know is that the when we look across all the various media types, podcasts, television, magazines, etc., and we ask people about the proportion, proportion of, of uh, podcasts that they listen to that are specifically Christian versus not specifically Christian. There are three things where we see a, a difference among different types of evangelicals. One is, and it's not a huge difference, but it definitely is a difference, that charismatic and Pentecostal, meaning those who have personally spoken in tongues, tend to use a higher proportion of Christian media than do non-charismatic and non-Pentecostal evangelicals. 49% uh, versus 38%. 49% meaning it's 49% of the media they consume is Christian content versus 38% among those who are not charismatic. The same kind of difference we see among evangelicals who are under $30,000 household income annually they're the heaviest consumers of Christian media versus not specifically Christian media. And then where we see even the biggest differences is by level of spiritual engagement. So the more regularly people go to church, the more frequently they read the Bible, the, the, the more they're involved in a small group, study group, or prayer group, the more 
likely they are to be heavier consumers of Christian media versus mainstream media. Yeah, that's fascinating. In fact, I want to ask you if you do plan to do this study again in a year or five years or sometime in the future, because maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just enough of a narcissist to look at these numbers and try to, you know, try to say, hey, what about me? What about my behavior? But I can't read these studies without doing a little bit of that. And and I see myself in this study, but I also see myself in transition in the study. So, for example, I still I listen to a lot of radio but I listen to it now mostly on a app on my phone. I'm still listening to the same NPR radio station that I've always listened to, but I listen to it on an app. Uh, the other thing that I've discovered is that I do not personally listen to a lot of Christian radio, but I listen to a fair number of Christian podcasts. In other words, whenever I'm you know, in my car, I don't tune into Christian radio. I usually tune into NPR or music or something like that. But whenever, you know, I'm specifically looking for Christian teaching, I won't turn to the radio, but I will turn to my podcast. So it's a, I, I see myself kind of in transition. I also see my, you know, I'm 63 years old. I do wonder, you know, if I'm maybe a part of that group that's skewing older and still just can't quite let go of my radio. Well, and we, we do see a lot of differences in media use, in types of media used by age. But one thing that I hear a lot is uh, absolutes, which don't tend to be true. And what I mean by that is, you know, old people don't listen to podcasts. Young people don't read magazines anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's, as with, with most stereotypes, there may be a grain of truth or an origin story that why that stereotype came about, but these stereotypes are, are dramatically overblown. So, I mean, let's take broadcast radio as an example. We asked people to think about the media that they use specifically for spiritual purposes. So not just for entertainment or just to have on in the background, but for the purposes of receiving Christian information, inspiration, Christian teaching, worship, etc. And when we look at broadcast radio, the proportion who are under the age of 40 versus the proportion who are 70 plus who use that as one of the forms through which they get Christian content is about the same. The same thing with people using DVDs. It's about the same across all the age groups. And even for, for media that do have a skew towards younger or older, for instance, print magazines, yes, 22% of our 70-plus evangelicals still use print magazines for Christian content. But it's not like the other age groups have abandoned them completely. It's, it's much lower. It's 8% among the youngest evangelicals. It's 9% in the 40 to 54 age group. It's 13% in the 50 to 55 to 69 age group. It's lower, but they're still using them. Same thing with mobile apps, with streaming video, with podcasts. It's definitely getting much higher use among younger people. But as you just mentioned, you're 63 years old and you're listening to podcasts. And we find that specifically for spiritual purposes, yes, 31% of the under 40 age group use podcasts specifically for spiritual purposes. But in, the, in your age group, 55 to 69, it's 15%. Now, that's half the proportion, but it's still a fairly reasonable proportion doing that. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be real careful when you talk about things like, and again, we see this all the time, you know, nobody reads direct mail among younger people, right? No old people give digitally, et cetera. And those, those, those absolutes rarely have any, any real truth to them. 
Right, right. Well, in fact, let's pivot a little. You've you've already mentioned some of the things that uh, I wanted to cover here sort of as we try to land this airplane, Ron. But you've got a section in your report called What Does It All Mean? And one of the lessons or one of the, um, I guess you could say, the implications of this study is uh, – this idea, beware of predictions. Only God knows the future. I'm fond of quoting Yogi Berra, who said, um, "Predictions are dangerous, especially predictions about the future." <laughs> so uh, the th- that's really, in effect, though, what you are saying here: that we are in a rapidly changing environment, and that while this provides a snapshot, it doesn't necessarily indicate how things will be in the future. Is that right? Exactly. And what we and we talked about this earlier, what we frequently see is, you know, when when Kindle and Nook and the other e-readers were introduced, it was going to be the death of the printed page. I mean, they were going to replace books. Well, they haven't. Um, when you when you combine print and ebook sales across all different categories, fiction, nonfiction, et cetera, today ebooks account for 18% of sales. So yes, they are definitely in use. I I love my Kindle. I use it all the time. But they have absolutely not replaced printed books. So the prediction quite frequently is A has been introduced. You can say goodbye to B. And what ends up happening tends to be, again, like we talked about, yes, A is introduced and B's usage may go down. It might be quick. It might be slow. But unless A is a direct replacement and improvement on B, A will be adopted for certain purposes by certain people at certain times. B will continue to be used. And so there's all of this almost panic, if you will, about something new is out and it's going to kill everything in its path. And again, that, that very rarely happens. And when it does happen, number one, it often takes a lot more time than anybody anticipated, decades rather than months or years. And B, often that thing that supposedly was killed off comes back. Look at vinyl. Vinyl is now the darling of the audiophiles. And you have major records that are major albums that are being released on vinyl still. And I mean, when's the last time most of us owned a turntable? Probably 1972, if we're we're that old. But the same thing with movies. Movies after the advent of television If you look back out into the 60s, the 70s, the number of movies that were being released fell dramatically, and they started increasing again as movies became repackaged. You know, in the 30s and 40s, you had all these serials that would be, you go to the the movies every week to see the latest installment of The Lone Ranger or The Shadow or whatever it was. And so they were basically television programs at the movie theater. Well, television was an improvement on that because you could get them in your own home. But the big events, movies were repackaged as big events. And you have franchises like Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter and all these that have made gazillions of dollars. When back in the 40s and 50s, we were hearing all of, well, we, I wasn't around then, but people were hearing all about how movies were going to go the way of the dodo bird because television was that much better. So beware of predictions is lesson number one. 
be aware of new options is your second lesson. Again, we've already talked about that a good bit, but there are new options coming on the scene. They don't completely in, uh, replace the old options, but they will find their place in the media ecosystem. Right, exactly. And, and, and not all of them will. I mean, remember when Google Glass was introduced? Everybody was going to be wearing these. Well, they don't even make them anymore. After about three or four years, they realized it just wasn't. It just didn't meet any perceived needs. It just didn't. It wasn't worthwhile. Nobody cared. So, yep. uh, you know, beware of the hype because every time there's something new that comes out, there's this big hype, much of it created by people who want to sell this new technology or this new whatever. Um, and so, you know, you get this, it's going to replace X, Y, and Z in the next five years. It's going to replace this, that, and the other thing. And it, it very well may take years for that to happen if it ever does occur. And the third lesson here is, um, I guess you could call it the never say never lesson, right? Uh, beware of words like everyone and no one or always or never, right? I mean, that it's unlikely that there will be an always or a never or an everyone or a no one in any future space, right? Yes, and both of the companies involved with this, Infinity Concepts on the agency side, Gray Matter Research on the consumer insights side, we hear absolutes all the time. I mean, I, I work, I've worked in my career with well over 100 different ministries and nonprofits, and I've been hearing for 20 years how direct mail is dead. Well, direct mail still pulls in billions and billions and billions of dollars in fundraising. And so every year we get told that it's dead or that it will be dead soon and that nobody reads direct mail. All of it just goes into the trash can, et cetera. What we find over and over and over again is if ministries, churches, nonprofits, whatever, provide content that is actually valued, it gets read. The direct mail is dead is the direct mail that doesn't tell people anything new. It doesn't provide any value, anything that they want. And frankly, that stuff gets pitched into the trash unopened or after a real quick skim, probably just the way it did in 1976 or 1996. So, you know, content is really still the king in a lot of things. But when you hear no one wants to buy a car from a car lot anymore, or no one responds to telemarketing, or, or my personal favorite, given my industry, no one participates in surveys. Well, it, it's, it's just not true. Well, Ron, thank you so much for this study. It's um, fascinating to me, and, um, and I hope it will be to many of our listeners as well. You can get a complete copy of it by going to our website. We'll have a link in the show notes. Ron, anything that you want to say that I'm not smart enough to ask you before we break up here today? No, I think you pretty much covered it. Great. Well, listen, Ron Sellers, thank you so much for being on the program. As always, it was enlightening. You've been listening to my conversation with Ron Sellers, the president of Gray Matter Research, which has just published a new study called Media Matters, Evangelicals and the Media. 
Now, before we go, a couple of quick notes. First, regular listeners to this podcast know that this is not the first time Ron Sellers has been on the program. If you're a ministry leader and you're new to the program, you might want to give a listen to some of the previous appearances of Ron on the program. His research provides insights into evangelical giving patterns and other habits that are very helpful. Just go to ministrywatch.com and type Ron Sellers, S-E-L-L-E-R-S, into the search engine, and those previous interviews will pop right up. I also want to remind you that our thank you gift for the month of April is Randy Alcorn's classic book on stewardship, Managing God's Money. We think this is a book every Christian should have in his or her library, and that's why we'll send it to you for a gift of any size to Ministry Watch this month. It's our thank you gift. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab at the top of the page. And if money's a little tight right now, you can still help the program with your prayers and by rating us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines. And that means other people can find us more easily. Rating us takes just a second, doesn't cost you a dime. It's a free, easy, and I should add, important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeffrey McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sutton. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.